This is episode 195 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing the 2011 Winter Youth Celebration with Hugh Halter. This is session four. <laughs> Are you guys sick of me yet? Liars. I'm tired of you guys, so you got to be sick of me, so... Actually, no. I love you guys. It's been um, been very cool to have some great conversation in the hallways and in the rooms with you. I actually feel like I'm becoming friends with just a few of you. But um, So tonight is night two, and around day two, I start to miss my family. I don't miss them at all the first day. I just, I start, just, I'm not, I'm not like dying right now, but I just, I'm starting to feel a little like I miss the family. It made me, um... I want to read something to you. It still is a little bit weird. Um, I put a letter to my girls in the sacrilege book. I'm going to read it to you. Sometimes I wonder if I should have done this, but um, most of the time I write for leaders, pastors, denominational guys, uh, people that are leading the church, but I've never really wanted to write to those people because I don't know if I have much to say. I've always wanted to talk to my own kids. Like at the end of the day when you're a dad, if everybody else screwed up the whole thing, if I could just get my kids to, to get it, like I'd be okay with that. And so I wrote them a letter about uh, my story. So I wonder if you'd uh, just sort of chill out. Let me read this to you. I'm going to try to not get misty. Always do a little bit. Love my girls. Although, can I just like speak openly? What's with the new underwear deal? Like the other day, I went into the dryer to get some clothes that I was going to bring for the trip, and they had had their clothes, mostly like their underwear, in there. And there was probably 300 pairs of underwear, but each of them looked like a rubber band. I don't... <laughs> what do you call that? Is that butt floss? What is that? <laughs> I actually got my toe caught in one of those one time. It tripped me up, went flying into the kitchen. My wife's like, what's up? I got my foot caught in the kids' underwear. Like, what is that? Other than that, I love them. But if you're going to wear something, wear something. I, I don't get the point. Like, do you get the... Some explain it to me. What does it do for you? I'm con- I, I like to pull stuff out of there. I don't see any reason why you put stuff up there. We're here to talk about Jesus, so shut up for a minute, okay? Just had to get that off my chest. So I wrote, Dear Allie and McKenna, as I write this to you, you're 16 and 15. And you know your dad isn't exactly a normal pastor guy. Now you guys are sort of getting that yourself. Throughout my life, I've had a deep love for Jesus. But more often than not, I've struggled with my role as a professional God guy. I've struggled with the church, with Christians, with organized religion, and of course, my own failures to live a life of a real Jesus follower. My faith began in fourth grade, and I'll never forget the moment Jesus made sense to me. In the fifth grade, I sold marijuana out of my trombone case, but I also memorized the books of the Bible, which earned me my first concordance from my Bible school teacher. By eighth grade, I was completely turned off by my Christian friends, but at the same time, I really wanted my other friends to find God. From that time, all the way through high school, I quit going to youth group, but had deep, deep times of prayer with Jesus about my family, 
uh, struggles we were going through, and oddly enough, I felt a call to ministry. In college, I was the go-to guy for the spiritually curious or the suicidal students, but I was also losing my interest in my own calling in, in church. Well, at seminary, I got kicked out of a few classes simply because I was asking questions that challenged the professor's ironclad theology. Then came ministry, one church in Portland, then a second in Denver. Each time the church helped, uh, each time the church I helped lead became a place where the spiritually disoriented found a safe place to belong. Yet each time I got into a good amount of hot water with other Christians. Some got mad because I was nice to gay people. Some thought I shouldn't hug the young girls who were prostitutes, even though they were in our church. Some thought I was a bad leader because I had beer with some of my normal blokes along the way or because I didn't preach the way I thought I should. Don't get me wrong, I feel like the luckiest man in the world because so many Christ followers have been the most inspirational, salt of the earth people, and I'm proud to call my friends. But I just wanted you to know that every day has been a fight to hold out, figure out, and dig out the real Jesus for myself and others. I hope that as you read this, you'll find the Jesus I did, and that you'll let him pull you into a future so amazing that you could never dream, of, dream it up on your own. I hope you'll never be religious, conservative, liberal, or concerned about what anyone thinks about you, but only be what the real Jesus of the Bible calls you to be. And then I hope you'll find like-minded and like-hearted friends who fight to live like Jesus together, and I hope that you'll call that church. And if you find the real Jesus, you'll love him. Jesus challenged and deconstructed religion. He brought people together. He helped people with their practical needs. He fought evil and he changed hearts. He was the exact representation of God. So if you ever want to know what God is really like and what his hope for humanity is, all you have to do is find the real Jesus. Love, Dad. So I wrote that for them because I want something bigger for them. I want something bigger than what I experienced growing up. Um, during my junior high and high school years, uh, my dad was out of work for about eight years. And so I worked uh, almost a full-time job from my sophomore year on, tried to play tennis and football along with that. Uh, my older sister was mentally ill, and so she was in and out of state mental hospitals down in Salem, Oregon. And so I would make trips back and forth. Uh, all sort of while watching the family sort of fall apart. I think the stress of all that got too much to my parents, so they divorced after 25 years. And uh, it, it seemed like all I had was an occasional blip into the youth group, but then they were just kind of, at that time, just playing chubby bunny. And I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about what was really going on in my heart and in my life. And just had this deep love for people outside the church, but I didn't know what to do with that. Um, I don't know if maybe some of you have ever felt like that. Something going on deep inside, but you just wonder if it translates to other people. And so um, when I wrote this book, I wrote it because I want my own daughter someday to find the Jesus that will just blow their mind and change the course of their history, change their plans. And I hope in some ways that you guys have caught a little glimpse of that yourself. There's, there's like a main thing. I want, I want my girls to find the main thing. And do you guys know what the main thing is? Like if you want to boil it down to one thing, could you like tell somebody like this is the main thing? It's in our scripture. Let me, let me read it to you. It's part of that whole missional thing, being sent. It's part of the, the go word. It's out of Matthew 28. And it's really kind of, you know, when you, someday like when we eventually kick over, um, you know that we actually will, will meet Jesus eye to eye. Like there's apparently it's sort of a time where we sort of, uh, you know, get to sort of 
see what has happened in our life. And uh, there's, a, you know, there's one scripture that says, Jesus will say on that, you know, that day, hey, well, well done, my good and faithful servant. Or I don't know what else, like what's the opposite of that? It sort of indicates that you can get into heaven by the flames on your hiney. It's speaking to actually to pastors who pastor poorly. And so all their work gets burned up and they get in just by the flames, but they're in. I'd, I'd hate to be that guy where Jesus goes, hey, nice job, well done, good and faithful uh, halter. You jack wagon, what were you doing, dude? Like, I don't, I don't want that conversation. I don't want him to go, look, you burned a lot of energy, bro, but um, you never did the main thing. So here's the main thing. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Based on that, go therefore, and make what? Disciples. Go and make, that's the only thing that Jesus is gonna hold any of us accountable to. He's never gonna say someday, hey, how many of your friends did you lead to faith in me? He's not gonna hold you accountable to that. He's not gonna say to guys like me, hey, did you grow your church from 200 to 500? Don't know if he cares. Because you can grow churches and not actually make disciples. Did you know that? So that's not going to be a big deal to him. He's going to actually go, did you make any of these, these things called disciples? What I want you to do with two or three people around you for just two minutes, I want you to try to figure out the characteristics of a disciple. So go ahead, do that. Since we have a little background music that's fitting, <laughs> nice timing. Go ahead, hurry up. I want to hear some talking. Characteristics of a disciple. Okay, 60 more seconds, hurry up. Wow, you just stopped, you must all be done. You figured it out? Kill more time, he's trying to fix something. Keep going, 30 more seconds. Oh, there you go. Okay. All right, how many, go ahead, be quiet now. Stop talking. A uh, few people, yell out some characteristics of a disciple. Because if you, if you don't know what one is, you could blow the whole thing. All right, so let's go. What do you got? Having to, or being willing to lay your life on the line. Not bad, yeah. Whoop, time out, over here. Somebody follows after God's own heart. Yes. Somebody's completely faithful. What was that over there? Okay, willing to follow Christ without a second thought? Inclusive. Thank you. You've made me happy now tonight. Okay, go ahead. Right there in the back. Pays attention to the Lord of the Flies. What was that? 
To the lower class, yes. It's concerned about the poor. Good. What else? Yeah, learner. Here's, here's maybe some pictures that'll help you. Let's go to... Okay. Oh, no? Wow, we're way back. Woo, there's my daughter again. There we go, okay? We're going to let our friend weed us through there. It's interesting, like my son that I told you about, Ryan, I actually, he's not from my, my loins. Uh, I adopted him. But people will say that don't know that will often say, well, you look a lot like your son. It's kind of weird how when you're with people, you start to almost look similar. And so I don't know if we pick up our facial expressions, but sometimes we even look like our animals. Or, look, give me the next one. Not bad, huh? <laughs> oh, man. Go ahead. Woo. Give me one more. Is there one more? Let's go one more. There we go. Okay. Look, here's the deal. You want to boil all this stuff down to what is a real disciple? You're supposed to look like your master. Okay? You're literally supposed to look like your master. Now, I want to go back to, uh, I'm going to try and draw a few more pictures. Remember our DNA of the kingdom. So we said the, the whole thing, the good news of the kingdom of God is that it has some aspects of that. There's some issues of communion, those things that help us to connect with God, okay? So let's go, we'll go really quick again. We would say things that we do to help us connect would be scripture, worship, prayer, uh, fellowship, I think you said, stuff like that, okay? And we said there's some other things, and that's important, that's part of the kingdom, okay? So we also said there's an issue of mission or blessing, so it's pure religion, it's looking after the poor. Um, you might call that sacrificial giving, spontaneous blessing, you know, stuff like that. And then we said there's an aspect of inclusiveness that's a part of the kingdom. And so this might be an issue of acceptance, uh, belonging, um, love for the lost, that type of thing. We said whenever you get any group of people that learn to integrate those aspects, the kingdom becomes tangible. That becomes good news and people are into that. So it would make sense then if we're going to define what a disciple is, that we would use kingdom DNA, right? So what if a disciple was all those things? It was, uh, I had a, a seminary professor that came into our church one time. His college students wanted, they heard about Adullam. Adullam is the name of our church. And uh, so he brought his students or his kids. And uh, he was at a conference I was doing at Denver Seminary um, and he was the homiletics professor, and I made some comments. Somebody asked me in the crowd, they said, hey, how important do you think a sermon is to our spiritual formation? And I said, um, I think it's probably maybe one of 50 things that are important. Probably down, I'd put it maybe around like 30. And uh, so he had remembered that. So when he brought his kids to Adullam, he said, hey, I'd like to go out for coffee with you. So I took him out, and his first question, he goes, hey, um, how important do you think a sermon is? And I said, um, like, I think I remember you. Um, you're a homiletics professor, right, at the seminary. He's like, yeah. And I said, look, I should probably just be real honest with you. If, if you and your family decide to come to our church, I want you to know that I don't feel any compulsion to feed you spiritually. And uh, he slid his chair out, and he goes, that's what I thought. We won't be coming back. As he walked away, I said, uh, but Joe, hypothetically, if we were the only church in town and you had to come, 
um, I would feel incredible responsibility to oversee your entire spiritual formation. And he kind of stopped. He goes, what do you mean? And I drew these three circles, and I said, um, I think when Jesus said, go and make a disciple, he was meaning go and make people that are like me. Agreed? And he went, yeah, that makes sense. I said, but the, the way that we have framed what a disciple is is primarily it looks like this. Is that we've told people that these are the things that grow us into a disciple. And so we want you in church every Sunday. We want you to know the scriptures. We want you to learn to have a personal devotional life. Blah, blah, blah. And those are all good things. Those are all part of being a disciple. But I said, but Joe, it's only one third of what it means to be like Jesus. Clearly, did Jesus know the scriptures, guys? Yeah, so to be like Jesus then means that, yeah, you definitely need to know your scriptures. It's almost foundational. Hard to follow a God that you don't know about. And so, absolutely, that's a part of it. I said, but we've been preaching sermons to millions of people for about 150 years in America, and do our people, does the product of that actually create a Jesus person? And he said, I don't know, how do you judge that? I said, well, I would judge it by whether or not people are responding to Christians like they responded to Jesus. Because if we were like him, they would maybe think we were good news as well, but they don't. They think we're not. They think we're at best sort of good to have around because we help people on occasion, but they're not inspired by us. They're not intimidated by us. It's an interesting uh, scripture in Acts where it talks about the early communities. It says that people held them in high respect and they were afraid to join them. Like there was an intimidation factor because those Christians, you don't mess with them. They're serious. They're not like us. They are counterculture. And so people had to look at them and go, man, I want to. Because I just, I love the way they live. But man, if I do, I can't just be the same anymore. You see, there was a difference back then between a disciple and what we would call a disciple. Any of you ever heard of a big Hurkin church called Willow Creek? It's a church that um, was started by a Youth for Christ leader by the name of Bill Hybels, who started a church because he was a missionary and he wanted to reach people outside the church. Um, he didn't just want to reach people. He had a motto for the church that they wanted to uh, produce fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And over the years, those of you that maybe are new to the church, they probably have been one of the largest churches in America. And thousands of churches have been spawned off of their model and have some of the best teachers and preachers. You can download millions of their really, really good sermons. And they did a study a few years ago called the Reveal Study, where they basically took the sheets off the bed and said, okay, we've now tried to analyze, has all this church activity that we've done, has it produced a Jesus person? And they spent millions of dollars on a marketing campaign. And I went to the Middle East with uh, the head of Willow Creek, and I asked him, I said, hey, Jimmy, tell me about the moment where the marketing guys came back in and told you the results. And he says, it, it, it wasn't cool. Because uh, the guy came in, and he said, and they were trying to judge, like if you took this group of people and you said, you guys, you go to a church every Sunday, you have a small group, you have your own devotional time, you go through all the classes of the church, and you guys are sort of nominal. You come once a month, you don't really do the classes, whatever. Is there any correlation between religious activity? Uh, like, are you guys going to be more like Jesus than you? And what they found out is that there's zero correlation between church activity and actually becoming like Jesus. 
So our churches, or what we call a discipleship factories, are not actually producing disciples. Like, that's kind of scary, isn't it? So what, so what is a disciple? How do we become one? Because the world is, I think, desperate for disciples. It's not really desperate for church attenders. It's not really desperate to see big churches on the corner. It's, de- it's actually asking for it. We need, we need disciples. We need Jesus' people. And so I want to just kind of throw a few ideas out to you that might help. Um, and by the way, um, growing up, this is some of the reason why I tapped out is because my world was falling apart from my family to having to work. In fact, in the summers, I'd work 100 hours a week just to try to make enough to sort of keep everything going. And it appeared like nothing was really working. I would pray, but nothing would happen with the family. Um, and so I started to wonder if it even made sense to have devotional time. But yeah, I prayed all the time because I was desperate. So I just, I, I didn't get that. Um, and yet all my friends, they always talked about, you know, have you had your devotion time today? I remember thinking, like, is that, is that, does that really do it? Is that the main thing? And so I would do devotions and hope that God would answer my prayers and seem like it didn't. So I thought, I wonder what the heck. Got kicked out of a seminary class. Um, it was a reflective spirituality class where they would teach you to go and be quiet and listen to God. And then you would it'd send you somewhere around the building and then you'd come back the last half hour and you were supposed to tell everybody what you heard from God. And I, I never had like a whole lot I never heard from God while I was like trying to be quiet. Um, so we'd come back and every time everybody would go around and everybody would be like, oh geez, God gave me dreams and visions and thoughts and I wrote this in my journal and every time I would have to say, like I, I got Jack, I just had a good long walk again. Just I never felt like a spiritual person. And it was always because I was always taught I, I really only grow if I do these things. And then there was a, a man a few years ago that said, Hugh, I think what you are is a, what he calls a true aesthetic. It's kind of a big word. And I said, like a monk? I said, I don't think I'm a monk. He goes, no, it's, it's sort of like that, but a true aesthetic are people that, that grow as their senses are activated. Like, he goes, I bet you if you're out in the woods, you talk to God all the time. I'm like, Yeah. In fact, I said, I can't really even study or pray as I'm sitting down. I actually always have to walk. He's, he goes, yeah, like that. He goes, I bet you when you uh, talk with people that don't know the Lord, you come alive spiritually. I said, yeah, half the time I have these conversations, I get in my car and I cry all the way home. And I, like, I desperately pray. He's like, yeah, you're, you grow differently. Some people grow through devotional means or some people when you worship or you hear a sermon, you do, you, you come alive and some people don't. And maybe you're like me. You go, yeah, I just, I, I don't like the journal thing. I, I have a hard time just doing just this communion stuff. And so what I want to say to you is, what if spiritual formation, what if growing in Jesus can include these other circles? What if you only grow when you go with Jesus? Did you know that your scriptures are not written to reflective people? The whole book is written to God's missional people, like his going people. It's almost like a love letter that Jesus sent to some people that were like walking. We're, we're going into the world. It's like, okay, good. I'm writing some stuff down. You're going to need this as you go. That's how the scriptures are written. They're not written for people that just want to wait for heaven and just have some chicken soup for the soul. Okay? 
These are working words. In fact, they almost don't make sense if you don't really want to do the things of Jesus. And yet nobody told me that. They just said I had to have quiet times and read Bible and listen to sermons. Let me, let me tell you the difference between a disciple. In fact, maybe, like I don't even use the word disciple anymore. Um, I'd even recommend that you might try a different word for yourself. I want you to try the word apprentice. Okay, and, and here's the difference. As a house painter, if I want to disciple you like we would disciple in our normal evangelical world, I would say, what's your name? Rose, what a lovely name, sounds like a flower. I'd say, Rose, I'm gonna disciple you in house painting this summer, so I want you to sit out on my tailgate of my pickup truck and I want you to watch me paint this summer. And if I go around to the back of the house, just get off the truck and kind of come follow me, okay? Now, if Rose did that for a summer, and what's your name? Colby. And if Colby, uh, after a summer, asked Rose, hey, Rose, um, I'm interested, how does somebody paint a house? Could Rose probably tell Colby some things about how you paint a house? Sure, because you, you pick up stuff by just sort of observing. Um, but what's your name? Colt. But if Colt asked Colby, hey, Colby, how do you paint a house? I bet you Colby is going to be able to share some of the concepts she got from Ro he got from Rose, uh, but it's probably going to be watered down a little bit, right? And it's going to keep going down. When it's just concepts, it kind of just keeps watering down from this massive story of the gospel and the kingdom to a, a Christian or a disciple is somebody that kind of stops doing big sins and, and goes to church. And um, yeah, that's, that's probably a Christian. But if I want to apprentice Rose, what do I do differently? I'm going to put a brush in her hand. What else am I going to put in her hand? Ladder. In one hand, she's just going to grab the ladder. No, well, better question. Can I, can I not give her any of the tools and still have her paint? Like, can I just give her a paintbrush and she'll be a house painter? No, I gotta give her the taping gun, I gotta give her the little scraper, I gotta give her the paint machine, I've gotta actually give her the invoice book and teach her how to write an invoice. I've gotta actually give her everything. What else do I have to do besides giving her things? Yeah, I gotta actually have Rose paint with me, right? And I'm gonna watch her for a while, I'm gonna help her, and when she messes up, I'm gonna kinda help direct her. Because the difference in apprenticeship versus discipleship is in discipleship, you know concepts about painting, but in an apprenticeship, you actually become a painter. And so when Jesus said, go and make disciples, he did not mean go and make people that know the concepts about me and the kingdom and then pass on those concepts. He literally said, go and make Jesus people, people that live the way I lived and did what I did. And you'll notice that Jesus' method is much different than the way that we disciple our people. His apprenticeship was actually an apprenticeship. He would take his friends. It's almost like, you know, I've been speaking to you, and I've enjoyed that, and I hope that you've picked up a few tidbits. But I'm from Portland, Oregon, and I know that if somebody were to give me a bus, and I could pick 40 of you and put you on the bus and drive you into North Portland where we did our church, I could drive you under some of the bridges. I could introduce you to some people that I used to know that live on the streets. Maybe they're still there. 
I could take you into homes, places that we were at, and things that we did. And I know that you would pick up more in probably two hours with me on the road than if you and me spent another 30 days doing this type of interaction. Do you agree with that? Okay. And so that was the method of Jesus. And he would take his friends who were relatively clueless. I know we view the disciples as like the first 12 Christians. They really weren't. You wouldn't have actually called them Christians. They didn't know what you knew theologically. They weren't even like Trinitarian after three years. They didn't know that Jesus was God. They didn't know much of what you and I know doctrinally. But he would take these essentially these unchurched, people and he would send them into ministry things. He goes, I'm gonna send you guys into the city today, two by two, nope, you won't need your little backpack, just go in, knock on the door, do this. And then they would go do it and they would come back and go, hey, that sucked. What was with that? And then Jesus would then teach them. So what we call action reflection learning. He would take them out on a boat and he would plan, I'm gonna take a nap about two o'clock and this windstorm's gonna come up and then the disciples would all be going, yeah. And they would knock on the little cabin door and they'd go, hey, Jesus, we got trouble out here. And then he would go, guys, let's talk about faith. It was always growing in knowledge and the way of the kingdom was always active for Jesus. A few times he would pull him aside and he'd say, hey, here's how you ought to pray. But most of his apprenticeship was literally apprenticeship. You try the kingdom, you will learn it. When you just, in fact, it's, it's kind of sad. When you just do head knowledge, when you just do your own personal stuff, all this stuff, worship, Bible, sermons, and you don't do these other things that Jesus said were central, you know what these people become? Become Pharisees. By nature, and Pharisees were people that knew a ton of scripture, but they separated themselves from the peasants. And what naturally happens is you naturally become a judge. And that's what the world can't stand in the lives of Christians today. So Christians aren't gonna change the world. Apprentices of Jesus will. That's why Jesus would say stuff like, look, you guys, in fact, there's a church in Denver that was known as like the Bible church. And the pastor finally, as we were processing this, he finally stood up one day in front of his whole church, thousands of people. And he said, you know, we've become idolaters of scripture. We worship Bible knowledge more than we worship Jesus. Jesus said the same thing. You guys search the scriptures all day long. And yet the scriptures talk about me and you miss me. Like you, you can actually miss Jesus by spending, it's kind of a sacrilegious thought, right? I mean, if you just bury your head in the scriptures and you never interact with people, you will miss Jesus. Am I saying to you, stop reading scripture? No, I hope you're not hearing that, but I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. If you just base your spiritual formation, your growth, being an apprentice on that, you will, you will lose the day, and you will miss your heart. I want to um, I look back over um, that eight years of what I call br brutal living. And uh, no money, not sure God was answering any prayers, not really having a youth group to be a part of that would understand what I was dealing with. It's hard to explain mental illness to other friends that don't have that in their family. And uh, now I look back and I realize it was during, when I was 18, I, was, I really felt the call of ministry to help the disabled. I got a heart for ministry from that time. Having to work 100 hours a week during the summers, 35 hours a week going to high school, 
developed a lot in me. It developed a lot of strength. It developed a lot of hard work. It developed my ability to multitask and do different things. And not having this group of people that could just coddle me all day long, it actually developed, it made me go just to Jesus. And it developed a deep faith in God. And so I would say to you, if some of you, you've heard all the stuff I've been talking about for a few days, and you go, I wish you knew my family, what I'm going through. I'm not really speaking to you that have it all together and have a great, I'm almost speaking to you that you go, look, it's tough. I want to suggest to you that you have an option or an opportunity to become an apprentice of Jesus. So don't despise the hard times. You only grow when you're in a moment of tension. All the other time in between there, you're kind of killing time in between tension points. I'll tell young men, you're not really ever going to get over the pornography addiction. You might fight against it, struggle, grit your teeth at times, try to, you know, not... But you won't really get over it until you're finally so sick of that part of you that you go to a few friends, you go, I need some help. I tell young couples, you're never going to totally get out of that visa debt. You try to budget a little bit, try to tighten up, but you're really never going to get over that until you finally get so sick of yourself that you call for help. You only grow in times of tension, and Jesus' way of apprenticeship is to grab you and say, come and paint with me. I know building is high, you've never done this, don't worry, I can help you with this. And so you will grow as you go. And that's, it's not, the, the talks earlier were to make you missional, it wasn't about reaching your friends, it really is about your formation. Do you want to become an apprentice? If you do, strap it on and say, Jesus, I'm willing to take an adventure. Because I know if I let you lead me, you're going to take me into some places that might freak me out. I'm going to read just kind of in closing a little email I got from McKenna, my youngest. This was after I wrote that letter to her. You know, it takes about nine months to have a book come out. And McKenna um, apparently grabbed Sacrilege Book and she wrote an email to our entire church on Facebook. And my wife called me. She goes, hey, McKenna just wrote something about you to the entire church on Facebook. I went, that can't be good. Can you read that to me? She goes, no, actually, it's pretty good. And she read this to me. Um, so this is what, at the time, McKenna was 15. Said, so today I went to Starbucks with three of my girlfriends and dedicated myself to reading my dad's latest book, Sacrilege. After just finishing the introduction of the first chapter, I'm already feeling a stronger connection to Jesus. Lately, my life has had some pretty rough patches and I haven't been able to be my normal self. At this point, I feel so happy and I feel as though maybe things are starting to look up and I'm finding faith in God to lead me to bigger and better things. And she says, I just want to thank my dad for the amazing life he has blessed me with. And this is the part that got me and allowing me to find Jesus on my own. And I truly believe I have. I love you, Dad, and hope you have a safe trip. I'll be praying for you. Sort of, you know, at that moment, I kind of went, whew, after I cry a little bit. Because my biggest hope for McKenna is that she won't just become just a churchgoer. Like, I, there's times where Cheryl and I have thought, what if, what if God asks our daughter to give her life for Jesus? And I was like, I'm cool with that, because I know what's on the other side of that. 
we, we prayed together. We said, God, do whatever you want with our kids. We know your church leaders used to be 19 years of age. And we, we dedicated our kids. God, whatever you want. It was also a dedication of God. You know, when we finally sent our son off, you know, after 25 years of epilepsy and seizures all the time and no sleep, I remember uh, I scheduled a coffee time with my wife. I said, hey, two weeks after Ryan leaves, I want us to actually have a time where we actually say, how do we want to live now that we actually have this freedom finally, just for her and I? And so the coffee time came, and she goes, okay, so what do you want to do now that we actually can, because we used to not be able to go out on a date unless we were within a few minutes' drive, because Ryan would always call us and say, I don't feel good, we'd have to cruise home. So this was now our time to say, okay, what can we do? And to be honest with you, I was, well, she actually goes, so what do you want to do? So I brought out some Sunset magazines. I don't normally, you know, read Sunset magazines, but I said, I want, I want to take you here. She loves Tour de France. I want to take you to France during the Tour de France. And then the next week after that was the British Open. I, like, I want you to let me go to the British Open. Like, I want us to, like, see the world and... And I actually said, you know, I'd be willing to actually not pastor the church. I'd, I'd take some time off, maybe a six-month sabbatical, maybe a year. Because you and I have never really had time to just be married and have fun. And, and she goes, uh, you haven't been praying about this, have you? That was what we were, we were supposed to pray about and then present our plan. And I said, well, no, I haven't been praying about it. If I pray about it, God will jack the whole plan up again, you know. <laughs> So I said, no, that's what I want to do. I always thought if, you know, the Lord took Ryan, this is it's time for us to live. And she's, I said, well, like, well, what do you want to do? She goes, do you know, like, we have another probably 40 years. You know, we could actually start an orphanage. I was like, you're freaking kidding me. You're killing me. So we just finally got rid of him. And you want, how many do you want? She goes, I think like 30 or 40, like. She starts to go, and we should, we should sell our house. We, don't, we bought the house on this lake so Ryan could fish. That's all he could do. So now he's gone. She's like, we don't need to live on this lake. Let's, let's move back into the hood like we used to live in Portland. And I'm like, well, I'm okay with that. But like, she's like, why don't we give our lives back? Why don't we, and she goes, why don't we be disciples? This is the opportunity for every one of us, whether or not you're young or old, you have every morning you can wake up and go, I want Jesus, I want you to apprentice me. I want to learn how to be a kingdom person. So I'm going to pray big over you tonight. I want to pray with my eyes open that God will explode your heart. That you will not settle for church. Although if you could see an entire room full of apprentices that you would someday see how awesome church would be. And that everything that you're afraid of that God might ask you to do, that you would give God those fears. You trust him. That he created you. He's numbered the very hairs on your head. He knows when you rise and when you sleep. He knows the very words on your mouth before they're going to come out. He's prepared and planned good works in advance for you to do. And the good work that he began in you, he's going to carry it on. To compl- I pray that you will have faith and confidence that God is real, that heaven is real, that anything that it costs you is worth it. And someday, the best day of your life will be when Jesus goes, Hugh, nice. 
I don't even care if he says you, I just want him to go, look, you were fun to watch. I'm good with that. I just pray that that will be your heart. And that if nobody else wants to go and apprentice after Jesus, none of your friends, none in your small group, nobody in your youth group, that you would go, Jesus, that's what I want. I want to follow you. I pray in that your life will change. In Jesus' name, amen.